However, when he says we don't drink wine, we drink Draculade. Draculade. Ah, yeah. Draculade? <laughs> yes. Cinematic fantastic. Batu, Barada, Nikto. I'll show you who I am and what I am. Buy a werewolf and leaves, becomes a werewolf himself. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hello and welcome to the Cinematic Fantastic Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Weatherford. And your other host, William Weatherford. Get ready for opinions, dad jokes, and bad jokes. As we watch and review sci-fi and fantasy films from the classics of yesteryear to the new favorites of today. Hello again, faithful listeners. This is what I believe is the seventh episode of Cinematic Fantastic. Indeed. Yes. Want to welcome you back. This is an inaugural episode in a way. We're leaving the silent era. And we're going into the classic universal monster movie era. This is yes. the classic era everyone knows, starting with their duo of really great movies, Dracula and Frankenstein. All of the same year. They released they did. them about the same time, and we're doing them now. They came out in 1931, both Dracula and Frankenstein. We're not doing both of them. These movies have so much to talk about that we're definitely going to... You can't talk about them in both in the same episode. We have to split those up, definitely. But yeah, these are both Universal movies. There's a lot of what you would recognize as the Universal monster movies. You know, the, Almost the precursor to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They had a cinematic franchise universe that they built out of this. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, 1931's Dracula, directed by Todd Browning. We will talk a little bit about the Spanish version that I believe was directed by somebody named Melford. And I have, I have some information about that. I actually watched that for the podcast so I can give some some ideas as to how it is similar and how it's different. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, what we want to talk about is production, direction, cast. And all sorts of stuff. Yeah. All right, William, you're up. Yep, let's jump into it. Let's so, do that. So this movie was created by Universal Studios or Pictures, uh, as it's known nowadays, the classic uh, monopoly that they're doing. <laughs> Uh, we talked a bit about it in uh, Phantom of the Opera. So uh, as we're going, since we're in this era, we're probably going to be saying, uh, referring to previous episodes, some of the information, or repeating it, which makes sense. So uh, as you know, or should know, one of the things we didn't talk about was uh, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Okay. So Oswald the Lucky Rabbit were the cartoons that they made in their early days, and the people who used to be, or not used to be, the four founders of uh, Walt Disney uh, worked on Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and, you know, Walt Disney Studio uh, animated it. And it was really successful, but unfortunately they didn't pay their people pretty well, so they left and then Disney decided, well, we're going to make a competitor in order to compete with Oswald the Lucky Rabbit's popularity. And then there came uh, Mickey Mouse. So that's how Walt Disney Studios was created. From Universal Pictures or Studios. That's neat. Yeah. One major reason why we were able to get these movies was, as I mentioned the last uh, in our last episode, because of the su- success, the amazing success uh, Phantom of the Opera was. 
Yeah. It made, it made enough money that they could bankroll, I believe, the next three or four pictures. They were really ambitious with these couples of movies. Yeah, but they didn't they didn't really spend a lot of money on them. I can't remember how much it was for Dracula, but it what they didn't really spend that much money making it. And when you don't make spend a lot of money making a movie, but it's just you know, just based upon the on the story and based upon the acting and based upon just the themes of it, if you're able to get the, the public to come see it, come see it in, in good enough numbers and pay enough money, it makes a lot more. If it makes a lot more than it but than its budget was, it's really considered an over the top success. There's a lot of movies that don't spend that much money in making the movie, yeah. but it's just it's just that good and it makes tons of money and what that does is that can that can make the sequels or make other movies that the studio decides to make um it can make those even better yeah that's exactly what you call it profit profitable it's got to make i think don't i'm not really a mathematician on in in this in terms of this but i think that of course if you make back the same amount of money that you spent on it you could kind of consider that you know if you make that or less it's considered kind of a flop or just kind of breaking even is not really all that good you might as well have not done done it all them in the <laughs> and first that's place. That's how you run a successful uh, business. No, it's no, it's not. Uh, what you it's not really all that good. What you want to do is make two, you know, two to three times what you what you spent if you can help it. And that's an extreme good thing in the box office for you to be able to do that. And then you can use that to uh, spend more money and make uh, better movies, or just <laughs> or just I don't know, keep it and be greedy. Who knows? The studio can afford to take the risk because they, you know, it's it's always a gamble with a studio. Uh, what they do is they look at, well, hey, can we do this? Well, okay, the last one was profitable. We didn't know if people were going to, you know, really be into these kind of darker stories. You know, these these kind of these these more what we call call like a Hollywood gothic is almost what what it would look like. Um, you know, are they going to spend money on this? Oh, oh, they are. So, OK, let's let's get into that. Of course, uh, that can be a good thing, and then, and then sometimes people will just you know churn out movies just because people are into a particular thing, and sometimes they get tired of it really quickly. Yeah, you know, like the tons of sequels to stuff like you know having uh, Godzilla or like Frankenstein versus the Wolfman or like crossovers and sequels and all sorts of stuff if they're not done well, like Cars, for instance. Cars was a great movie, but as most people share the opinion of Cars two. Uh, definitely a lot bigger of a flop because it broke so many conventions and it's just not that great. Yeah, and, and honestly, you have to look at what, you know, some some there are some good movies that didn't make a lot of money, um, and that's a shame. But what I can say is that as we go, we're going to see scores of sequels using and franchises using particular characters that, that are continuing on through the whole franchise. And sometimes the movies do really well, and sometimes they don't, to varying levels of of success. But in this case, it was a success throughout all the board. You know, ninety three percent of Rotten Tomatoes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the thing is, you know, what, what, of course we'll discuss, you know, how Dracula got, uh, and and how how the movie performed. But first, we need to look at what was the genesis of the idea for for Dracula. Uh, so the genesis of this is based off of, of course, Bram Stoker's Dracula, where versus Nosferatu, they actually bought the rights this time. And uh, also the stage play, which uh, personally on this podcast, both of us do not know very much information about. If we would, then we'd say that. But if you can find some online, then that would be pretty great. Also, another thing about this movie is that they were still kind of clinging to the silent era a little bit. 
you know, you still have a couple of intertitles in there and, like, extreme silence points. There's, like, there's some music at the beginning, but there's no music, like, throughout, and it's just so freaking silent. At times, I'm just, like, expecting a jump scare. Yeah, and there's and and you know there's two there's two other there, there's the song at the beginning which is which gets reused again in the opening to the Mummy which we will watch uh, I think in a couple episodes. But it was literally so silent. I'm just like, there's a jump scare. It's waiting there. <sighs> Only if you turn away from the screen. Doesn't that make it kind of eerie though? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard people say that that without that soundtrack, it's very eerie. One thing that I will mention, though, William, is that years later, a composer named Philip Glass—he's a very famous composer. He's composed, you know, both for the screen and off-screen, and he had a quartet of, I think, cellos, violins, and whatever, whatnot, called the Kronos Quartet, and they created a whole soundtrack for 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 this movie. And they actually sometimes they will put the movie on. Uh, and and play it live like when in a theater kind of situation that's awesome but also the uh, universal liked it so much that i think on some of the blu-rays or dvd compilations they actually give you the option in the menu to choose to have that the soundtrack play along with the the vocals and and sound effects so people added a soundtrack where there was none yes and they did that because they wanted to thinking it would maybe heighten some of the elements of it and also they would uh, they were also thinking that, you know, let's let's do something that kind of is in that old style, you know, nothing but big, big and bombastic and, and booming, but just like really subtle. And and I've, I've heard it. It does add some things to it. But I think that there's also this element of in real life, there isn't a soundtrack. So you almost feel like you're there and and, and you feel like this strain and, and it does feel like there are some conventions of the silent era that have carried over uh, I agree of course this movie also did have a silent version as well as a Spanish version I don't think there was a completely silent version but yes there was a Spanish version we'll talk there was a silent version with the inner titles in it and stuff oh they did yeah so uh Todd Browning was the director for this movie. And who's the like the only credited other than the actor's uh, production person, other than Carl Lemley, who uh, presented it and uh, ran Universal Studios. Carl Lemley Sr. Well, uh, Carl Carl Lemley Jr. though he was handed the reins right before uh, right before they started pursuing getting Dracula. Uh, Carl Lemley Sr. would never really pursue that kind of thing because he wasn't. So this is Carl Lemley Jr. Then Carl Lemley Jr. liked darker. Stuff he like you know I don't think we would have the Universal monster movies we we that we do without Carl Limley Jr. Uh, Carl Limley Sr. He was kind of like I don't know if I liked all that stuff. He only liked the darker things when when Lon Chaney was involved. He was a big Lon Chaney proponent. He was like oh that that guy can do anything. So things about Todd uh, Browning, who is the director of this movie, as I said, uh, he used to be called uh, Charles Albert Browning Jr. before hmm. changing his name. He has started his life as a carnival entertainer and performer and then he became an actor and then uh, a director and a screenwriter and then that's where he's been he's apparently called the edgar Allan poe of cinema mm. which uh i don't really understand he uh, famously directed the uh, unholy three which as we know was lon cheney's uh, one of lon cheney's last uh, movies it was and, his uh, first talkie role yeah and uh freaks which is uh is that on our schedule? I don't think it's not. It's uh, it's but it not... was very influential as a horror movie. 
It's no. a cult. It's a cult classic. It Big was. It was. Classic. It was banned in many places, and I'll tell you why. Todd Browning infamously, and he worked with Lon Chaney a lot. You know, remember how he said Lon Chaney? He liked to have characters that had some kind of deformity or some kind of physical issue or something like that because yeah. he would show that there was a lot more going on with these characters. Well, well Todd Browning worked with Lon Chaney quite a bit. There's quite a few of the movies that. Todd and Browning the, and directed. Freaks, they were playing uh, circus freaks as far as Yes, that. Freaks did not have Lon Chaney, but Freaks did have some people. These are people that are differently abled, that are differently shaped, um, maybe perhaps due to birth defects or different things. They, they have uh, deformities and things. This is where uh, I want to go. <laughs> right. Ex- greatest oh, oh, Showman. Oh, Greatest Showman. Yeah, well, see, the thing is, they these people were not treated... This is one quick thing. I've I've seen some scenes from the movie, and there's a very famous scene that I've seen. It's 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 very frightening, and it's frightening not because mainly because the people in it look very strange, but because somebody is um, has done these these people wrong, and he is not deformed at all. And so what at the end of the movie, and it's like raining or some kind of thing, and they're like all coming towards him. Some of them, some of these people are crawling underneath Carnival. Uh, equipment to come get him, and what they're planning on doing is is mutilating him so that that he's just like them. And they say one of us, one of us, and uh, it's 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 a it's a scene that has been so you know copied and duplicated because of its cult classic. It had been banned, I think, in some places because they were like, this is just too much. Yeah, but that's why I think he w- he's a good one to to be a part of this. Although. I will tell you this. Did you read anything about his his disorganized style? He was so like procrastinating and, and had such a you know disorganized style that I think his cinematographer Carl Frund didn't he take over halfway through? Uh yeah, because he was too lazy. Like oh my goodness, Todd Browning was so lazy during the seven week production that the cinematographer had carried for like the directing. There's a lot of weird things with this movie. Is that, you know, like, they did all sorts of weird stuff. Like, for instance, they used to have, you know, John Harker's journey to uh, the inn in Transylvania. But instead, they just entirely cut that and they just begin with the carriage instead of having that. I don't know. It's probably, like, because it's, like, too expensive or risky for their taste. Maybe that's why, you know, the mirror that we see later, it's a box mirror instead of a full-length mirror that it was in the book and the stage play. Yeah, yeah, definitely in the state. I think the one of the actors in this uh, who plays Van Helsing, uh, Van, Edward Van Sloan. Edward Van Sloan did not have a high opinion of these kind of movies. He did them, and he did a great job. But he would later, I think, say things like, "Oh, these these movies are not very high quality, and they're and they're not, you know." I think he thought that they were b- kind of below. Yeah, his- there were a lot of people that were just like this movie is not really good. They didn't care about the movie. They didn't even see the movie because they didn't care about it. You know, like uh, Manners and Van Sloan, as we'll see, Edward Van Sloan and... Uh, Did they... Uh, and I think I think that uh, the actress... We'll talk about them Yeah, yeah, later. but I was, I was going to say that, that Edward Van Sloan, I think, had something to do with the play, and he, and he didn't understand why they didn't use uh, the full-length large mirror like they did in, in, the, in the stage play. Yeah. I think, you know, he, he had remarked on that. So what are some what are some other elements of the production that you can talk about? So first of all, Dracula and Van Helsing were going to be both played by Lon Chaney uh, very first. That would be kind of difficult, though. I mean, we've seen the matting in a Lost World, but I don't know if they had the technology to be able to do that. 
uh, they do now. They do now. They and I do think now, but like not really then. And then they also considered a uh, Arthur Corot and a uh, Conrad Veidt as well for Dracula, among others. And Arthur 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 Corot, what what was he in? Uh, Phantom of the Opera. Ledoux, Ledoux, he the Persian, Ledoux. or Ledoux slash Persian. Let's see. And then Conrad Veidt, we can't forget that he was uh, Cesar, this, the somnambulist. From Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I think he would have done a good job as, as Dracula. He, he, he can act through makeup. His eyes can are so expressive. I mean, this is the guy that played Gwynplaine in The Man Who Laughs. Are you kidding me? He would he would do a great job. But I think that that Dracula is is kind of... He's kind of an antagonist and a villain kind of character. Cesar and Gwynplaine are both individuals that are under someone else's thumb and under someone else's control. And they are trying to get out from under that. And you feel for them. There's probably some movies that have been done, you know, using the Dracula legend where you kind of feel for Dracula, you know, you know, where, you know, there's a sadness to him being alive, you know, for so long and and having such a lonely life. Uh, I think uh, what we'll find, I think even in uh, 1979's Nosferatu, the vampire directed by Werner Herzog, we're going to watch that one. I I can't wait. Uh, They do make uh, Orlok. They actually call him Dracula in that one. Uh, they do make Dracula, who is really Orlock. They make him. You feel kind of sad for him because he's 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 kind of this lonely figure. But I think that you know, honestly, I think Conrad Veidt would have done an excellent job with it. But it would have been. I don't know if it would have worked with the script because the script makes Dracula a a very regal figure, but he does not have anything uh, you know that's heroic on his mind. He's very villainous. Yeah. So uh, Lugosi. Also, while they were doing the production, as you know, Carl Freud, you know, the cinematographer, he was he was actually on uh, Metropolis and Isle of Lucy. He did cinematography for that as well. I heard that. Yeah, but uh, Lugosi was always, like, standing around. He was, like, very distant, you know, polite, very vain, you know, flaunting his cape, and he was <laughs> fantasizing. He's like, I'm Dracula, and, like, going around saying I'm Dracula. <laughs> yeah, I heard a, I heard an, in a, an interview that said the same thing. That one of the actors on it was saying, "Yeah, he was. Uh, you know, if there was a mirror nearby, he was constantly kind of walking in front of it. You know, everybody else would be like just smoking or chilling and talking, and he and would just Helen be... Chandler who would like laugh at it. Speaking of Helen Chandler, who played Mina, she was also the highest paid of all the actors of this movie, which is really interesting. We'll talk about her very shortly. The uh, special effects for this movie is literally just fog, lighting, and uh, bats. They literally have, like, stuffed animal bats they flip up and down to make the wings move. But that's literally it for special effects. Very, very... Those are holdovers from the theater. I think those are very theatrical kind of things. I mean, because... Yeah, because, you know, the transformations were all off screen. They didn't have a special effect for that. But I guess it's all they really needed. Well, there is a there is a transformation. I think there that in one of the sequels to this called Son of Dracula, which actually stars Lon Chaney Jr. as uh, as the son of Dracula. His name is Alucard in that. Uh, that that's for all you Castlevania freaks out there. So, um, but Lon, Lon, in that movie, he does turn into mist, and you see the mist. I think it's probably because they put a little a fog machine underneath his outfit, and he does turn into a bat, and it's probably. You're probably going to be thankful that they don't that they don't show a transformation of Dracula into a bat in in, the, in this 1931 film. But who knows? The special effects were all they needed. Speaking of everything that they needed, there were some parts that were cut from this movie. It originally ran like 
15, like 10 minutes longer than an hour 15. So like an hour 25. So the things that were cut like mainly, there were like death groans that were cut short because they were like so creepy. They were like, uh, we gotta uh, make that a bit shorter, cut that off. Like, you know, when he gets stabbed in the heart at the end uh, with a stake. Let me explain that real quick. And uh, also when Renfield dies. Yeah, so I, yeah, definitely. So I'll, I will tell you this. Those were cut not out of the 1931 version. They were cut out of a reissue that they put out in 1938. They were bringing Dracula back to theaters to see if people would still go see it, and they did. They, you know, this is The only time I remember this happening now is they did the Star, Star Wars special editions, and I, I went to go see those in 1997. In 97, it was two years after... I mean, in after... some cases they're improved, in some cases they're not really improved. Yeah, but in this case, let me explain. Remember I said the Hayes Code came out in the 30s? It didn't come out till 1933, which is either either came out before or after King Kong. So this was pre-Hayes Code, but they still censored themselves. They did. Well, well, okay, let's put it this way. And I've in the, what we watched was the 1931 version. But there's a Spanish version, which is a lot less censored. This was fixed in the Spanish version, which if you want like a true horror movie, but not like a true horror movie, but like a true were horror movie, then like, I don't know, the classic R-rated horror movies that we got in the modern era. Uh, the Spanish version. It's been like long lost for a while, but we It's got a little it bit heightened. The other one, I'll tell you, there's some differences between the two. The Spanish Dracula, I, I, st- I think that the superior performance of Dracula is, is the more subtle one, which is done by Bela Lugosi. The gentleman that played Dracula in the Spanish version uh, was Carlos Villar, and he was very over the top and kind of manic and a little... Yeah, they redid the entire cast and the entire movie in the with the same sets but different different. They, they, cast. they filmed them. They filmed them at night during the day because it was on a set, so they could control. Like I said, you know, they could control whether it was day or night or whatever on a set. And then when they went home for the night, the Spanish cast came in and did their stuff at night. And guess what? They were so they were such good. They listened to their directors. Their director was very on point. They actually finished filming before the English version got done. Um, so, hey, you know. Yeah, they were filmed in parallel. Making it happen. I mean, seriously. And and honestly, that was one was very successful, too, because it wasn't a dub. You know, uh, Bela Lugosi dubbed into Spanish. What it was is I saw some interviews with the some of the actors that were, were, were in that, and they were very proud of it because it was real Spanish-speaking people in a horror movie. It wasn't a dub. It was like we were reusing our people and our language to do it in, and they took great pride in it. And honestly, there's some technical achievements in the Spanish version that are not in, and some scenes and some things they focus on that are not in the English version, and I think they're kind of superior. Indeed. There's a lot of people who are real cinematic fanatics, so to speak, All right. who who I've, I've heard reviews of this, and they kind of say the same thing. And I still think Bela Lugosi is better as Dragon. But everybody else is pretty good. I do think that the guy who plays Renfield in the Spanish version is a lot more maniacal. He's he scares me. I think that in, in terms of I think he needs to be taken to a real psychologist to really talk to him and go, hey, dude, are you OK? <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, he's like screaming. Oh, and stuff. He, yeah. There's scenes. There's a scene. OK, we'll talk about this when we get to plot. But there's a scene where Renfield, played by Dwight Fry, who we'll talk about in the cast. Uh, I, lo- I love this guy. Uh, you're you're going to definitely see a lot of Dwight Fry throughout the 30s. You trust me, you'll see him again. And I'll tell you where he, I'll point him out when we see him. We'll have a Dwight Fry alarm that goes off every time he appears. So he um, Dwight Fry plays uh, him and he's on the ship. 
when it arrives, he's he's kind of going, <laughs> you know, he's like laughing yeah. like that. <laughs> so and then and then whenever, but whenever uh, the Spanish uh, actor who plays Renfield is is doing, he's laughing maniacally. I mean, like like a crazy Joker. So it's it's a little shocking, um, but I I always have a soft spot in my heart for the original cast just because I've seen it more times. But I think that the technical direction and some of the cinematography and some of the extra shots are actually better in the in Spanish version. I do agree. Go watch that version if you're looking for a better story. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a link. I'm gonna give William a link when we finish up recording the podcast. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him a link to a really great purchase that I saw on Amazon, which which had almost all of the Dracula movies and and sequels and and connected movies from Universal, including the Spanish version, including you know the one with the soundtrack. I mean, you can't go wrong. It's great quality. You can't go wrong. So and it's for a really good buy, honestly. All right, so but you know we're not really flogging or uh, selling things here. I just want to point that out. But you can get you can get you can get the Spanish version there. Indeed. So we go on to the cast and we start with Bela Lugosi. He's the oh, classic famous. Person. You know he's a famous. He's a Hungarian and he was like a stage actor before silent films. And so then he uh, left for Germany because of the uh, Hungary Communist Revolution, which, mm-hmm. as we all should know, uh, failed. And so uh, because of his socialist activities, his socialism, he left for Germany, and then he later went over to New York. He sailed all the way to New York City. I don't know, kind of paralleling Nosferatu there a bit. Because, you know, he wasn't in a coffin, but no. he was sure sailing for a place to settle in a, in another city that wasn't his own. <laughs> he didn't, he did, but he did not use his own magical breath to do it. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> He did Dracula and stuff, but he was, afterwards, after Dracula, he was so identified with the role of Dracula. And, you know, his accent was so thick, and, you know, his English uh, was very hard because of that accent. Because of that, he found it really hard to get major jobs as uh, different people other than Dracula because because of his associations and his difficulty with speech. Uh, that is something called typecasting. There's a lot of actors we'll talk about that, that do get typecast. Sometimes actors, when they get typecast, is that they just lean into it. They know where their where their bread is buttered, so to speak. They know where they're getting that paycheck. And they're like, if they want this part, they're going to get it. And I do a really good job at it. And that's fine. I think that, you know, he fought it. He fought those kind of those typecastings a little bit. But come on. Yeah, he was in some minor parts sometimes. But uh, and then Hollywood put him on the posters anyway, because, you know, like they're like, oh, the guy who played Dracula. It was money. It it, Look, it was money. It was money. So they put him on posters. They just kept him for the posters. And then he got minor roles. He eventually died from his addiction to uh, drugs, to morphine, which is uh, honestly really sad. He died. Uh, he died during the making of Plan Nine from Outer Space, which is one, which is considered one of the best. Well, I'd say good, bad, best, worst movies of all time. But the thing is, though, anytime somebody says the best worst movie, somebody is bound to come up with another one and say, "Hey, but you've never seen Troll Two, or you've never seen The Room, or some horrible movie." And it, and it's like, oh yeah. And then when someone says it, somebody around the area is always going to groan and go, "Oh yeah, I've seen it. Oh gosh, it's terrible." Yeah. And so also while he was at New York, he was in Broadway. And we'll talk about Helen Chandler as well was also in Broadway. And I'll talk about that right now if you don't have anything else to say, Dad. Well, I want to say one one thing, quick thing about Bela Lugosi is that he did get 
cast into parts that weren't Dracula related. You know, he was he either played like extremely minor an, parts, e, an evil doctor, yeah, or usually usually villains. I don't think there's ever a time when he played like a heroic kind of character. He does play. This is strange though. He does play Frankenstein in uh, Frankenstein versus the Wolfman, mm. and uh, and it's and it's it's okay. He does an okay job, and he, he it's, it's serviceable. I do think Boris Karloff is better, but early on, I think that they got, before they got Boris Karloff to portray... Yeah, Boris Karloff was a real eclipse to Bela Lugosi. I don't think so. I think they were complimentary. They were in. They were actually in movies together many times. Yeah. Bela Lugosi did actually try out for Frankenstein. They put the makeup on him and tried it out. I think it was Fritz. No, um, Dwight Fry played Dwight Fritz. Dwight Fry was Fritz. You know, we, we're, everybody's always saying... Dwight everybody's, Fry was in many uh, Frankenstein movies. Like he every, was well, he, no, wait, wait, wait. He, uh, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait a second. Okay, Dwight Fry was Fritz, I think, in the first and second. Oh, he was in Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. And then... Uh, was he the son of Frankenstein as well? No, that was Igor. There was actually an Igor. And he was a, he was a bearded man with a hunchback that had a furry coat on, and that was played by Bela Lugosi. And that's a creepy guy, too. Wait till we get to that. But um, Boris Karloff was the Frankenstein's monster in just about all instances. And then later on, the guy, Lon Chaney Jr., who played the Wolfman in Wolfman versus Frankenstein, he later play, plays, or I keep saying Frankenstein, he's playing, he plays Frankenstein's monster in one of those movies, too. So there's yeah, a couple... Yeah, they're cycling them three, like, on <laughs> a lot. But Lon Chaney was kind of fading away a lot more and, like, stepping in were the both uh, of them. So Helen Chandler was a new, she lived in New York, she lived in New York and she was a, she was a Broadway star and she was, did so many Broadway productions. She did uh, Shakespeare, in fact, mm-hmm. you know, Richard III, Macbeth and uh, Hamlet. Oh. She was also in uh, The Music Master, which, uh, as I recall, was the first sound movie or it contained uh, music or noise. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, sometimes uh, sometimes in those movies they don't consider them like like talkies. What they'll do is it will be silent like 99% of the time and then and then when there's a music part, someone will sing or whatever and then it goes right back to silent again. Yeah. But <laughs> that's kind of like this movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they did talk all throughout it. Oh, definitely. This was definitely this had some silent silent-ish stuff in it, but it would think it was I think that it does add to making it creepy, but go, go ahead. Uh, uh, Helen Chandler? And she also didn't really like the role of Mina that much as well. There was just so many people who didn't really like this movie. She was uh, cremated after having suffered cardiac arrest due to alcoholism, or that was a related trouble. When, when did she, uh, how long did she live? Um, I do not know. Let me say. But that was later, that was later in her career? Yes, much later in her career. I do, I do remember there's a scene in the English version, I'll say, of uh, Dracula where after they meet Count Dracula, after Mina meets Count Dracula for the oh, first 1965. time. 1965. Okay, okay, that's quite a ways. So, and she's, uh, it's after they, after she meets Count Dracula, she, she kind of does her imitation of his accent and, but the thing is though, she actually, when she she was on set and saw, you know, Bela Lugosi kind of, you know, pretending to be Dracula and kind of getting his whole his whole shtick down. She kind of would would kind of laugh about it. She thought it was kind of uh, ridiculous. But the thing is, if they could only if these actors could only see that a lot of people, writers, artists that were young kids grew up and made movies um, because they were inspired by this or, you know, they were, have memories of when they were kids and just. Yeah, just you know, this is like a time capsule 
of movies. You know, like you have an era that's a big time capsule, and so this is kind of like uh, peas in a pod inside that time capsule. Yes. Is like where these individual movies are in one section of an era, and you open it up and you go, you can see a time capsule of the movie. Yeah, and it's in, in, in very much encapsulated. I do think that the quality, you know, you may you may agree or disagree, but the quality of a lot of these early what we call universal monster movies was they were subtle and mysterious and kind of creepy and interesting, slow moving. I would say slow moving, uh, deliberate is probably another word that I would use. They're very deliberate about their pacing, and it's it, it's really in today's society, so many movies are. They want to go 90 miles an hour, slam bang, and be done. And these movies like to take their time and really kind of get under your skin. And, and you know, and for some people who, who are kind of been raised on, on newer movies that are a lot more bombastic, these are kind of quieter movies in a way. Yeah, kind of like how Leia was, as we uh, saw in her last episode, she guest starred. Uh, she kind of wasn't really a fan of the silent era as much. Yeah, but I think that... I think that um, that has to do with, I think, I think being able to, you can watch a movie, you can and still be listening to it and look away, and you still know what's happening because someone's talking. I think, honestly, a lot of the movies that, that we're coming into, they're starting to, to figure out what does it mean to be a talking movie, to, to be a movie that, that has, has vocals in it. Uh, the sound, I th- the ability for the, for the recording equipment to pick up sound is going to get way better as the years progress. And so uh, quickly we have... Uh, the people who I don't have as much in my notes, we have uh, Dwight Fry. I already said he was in uh, roles in Frankenstein movies. He uh, he died of heart attack. That's the only other thing I have. I do know that I think a lot of these actors here uh, were, let's see, they, they, they came from a, a, a stage background. Yeah, a lot of them came from Broadway, so that's probably how they uh, encountered them. Was at Broadway, you know, Universal Universal Pictures was probably stationed there. So uh, quickly, we'll go over our last few people. Was uh, Edward Van Sloan as uh, Van Helsing? Uh, I don't have anything about him. And uh, Carla Lemley was the uh, tour guide at the beginning of the movie. She's uncredited, which uh, she's the uh, niece of Carl Lemley. Uh, Carl, yeah. She's adorable, but kind of annoying. She's, well, she's, she's the young lady with the glasses on in the very beginning where she's reading. Of course, whenever they hit a bump, she falls over into people. But yeah, she, she loved being in, uh, around all that kind of stuff. Interviews with her you know, show that she just, she really treasured her time on these movies. And, and she really is glad that people are still watching them to this day. I can say something about Edward Van Sloan uh, real quick. He, um, I, I, I haven't seen too much of him. I don't remember a lot of him, but I remember his portrayal of Van Helsing. And it was very, I'd say, kind of iconic because, you know, the, his accent and, and, and the way he carries himself and, and his belief in, in vampires and science at the same time, is I think is very I- iconic. You're kind of, you're getting on, in on the ground floor. So anybody that... You know, portrays Van Helsing. They're kind of doing a little bit of Edward Van Sloan. Yeah, he was a very great character indeed. So, I uh, did. The last person we have is a uh, David Joseph Manners. He's a a British parented Canadian. He was a uh, Ralph Acklam till 1940. That was his name, which is really interesting because he's a. Uh, I don't know if he was Ralph Acklam on the uh, as named because of course this was 1931 versus 1940, which is really interesting, and also. He was the nephew of Cecil Ryder Acklam, who is the, a senior officer in the uh, UK Royal Navy. <laughs> Very uh, rich family they have here. 
Uh, also, he his father was the uh, headmaster of Harrow House School, which was uh, a private boarding school. It was very prestigious. It was in, it was for boys. I do think uh, you know about uh, Mr. Manners is his portrayal is very. There, there's a lot of these kind of characters in these movies. They're usually the boyfriend or some extra character. I mean, there might be a main character, but they're just kind of forgettable. I hate to say it about Mr. Banners, but yeah. when, you put the, when you put the cast out there, I mean, I put, I put as the most memorable memorable actors in this, I put Bela Lugosi, uh, Dwight Fry, and Edward Van Sloan. And maybe after that, I would put uh, Helen Chandler as, as Mina. And the last things about uh, David Joseph Manners yeah. uh, was that he, you know, he went to New York to New York, uh, he was, uh, he went from, he was an assistant publisher, and then he was like, nope, and then he was a forester, and then he went to Broadway, and then afterwards, after this movie, he went to Hollywood. He bounced everywhere, like, man. He was but, just, but, like, inspired. But once you, well, there's, there's a saying, it's, it's a little phrase, it's called, caught the acting bug, like it's a, like it's a, yeah. an illness. I think that once he got into that, he was like, I really like this. But the thing is, I haven't seen anything with it, with him in it, and so and, I, and there's a lot of actors that are in this period. I hate to say it, but their performances are okay and serv- they're serviceable, but they're not very memorable. They don't st- stick in my mind, and sometimes it has to do with the fact that they're not playing a character that has some kind of some kind of real characterization. You know, with with uh, Van Helsing, we have his, his those awesome glasses. We have... He's more of a side character than a main character, although yeah, he's the exactly. main character of the book. He's not the main character of the movie as much as Renfield in a Dracula Ren, Ren, Renfield, Renfield is kind of a side character in uh, Nosferatu. He's kind of a side character in the Nosferatu remake as, as Nock. He's kind of a side character in the novel, too. Um, Harker... Uh, Jonathan Harker is actually a larger character, which they switched the some of the things around from the book, which we'll, we'll talk about when we get to the plot. I'll kind of bring as we go through the the plot of Dracula later on uh, in the second half of our podcast. I'm going to talk about some things that were in the book and how they changed it um, as we go. I so agree. you can just you can get an idea. The thing about Harker though is if you did it like the book. The scene where he where he goes to Castle Dracula to meet him would have been longer. That that scene is is kind of cut short. So that's the, where that uh, ten minutes went. Yeah, <laughs> or at least five minutes. No, it was like well, it it says that three months have passed. So actually, the Nosferatu version, which actually to me seems like he's there in the castle longer, just because he's kind of wandering. But but again, we'll talk about them when we get to the plot. Yeah, and finally, David Joseph Manners. Uh, he died, fortunately, of old age, 98 years old, cremated. Oh, my goodness. Just like Mina. And, oh, my uh, goodness. That is but, very fortunate. But, yeah, well, yeah, he, he died of natural causes. Everybody else kind of had issues, you know, and everybody has issues, you know? Yeah, you know, everyone gets addicted to alcohol or drugs once in a while. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we I... can observe it and we can say that's a terrible thing and stuff, but we're not, we personally don't endorse it. No, I don't know if that happens to everybody, but I think that that was, you know, as we as we go through uh, movies, we talk about Hollywood and, and we also talk about, you know, movies in general. And a lot of actors, you know, they have their vices and, and they and some of them tend to stay clean, stay sober and, and, and have careers. And that, that's admirable. That, that la- yeah, that lasts a long time. And then sometimes there's tragedy 
where there are actors that are you know taken from us you know that were is not their fault and then some people it's due to their vices and in some cases you know it'd be, it'd be like we lost Bella Lugosi you know uh, did he have too many more years acting ahead of him I don't know but you know his 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 vice that he had kind of took him you know, and, and made his life hard. The same thing with uh, with Helen Chandler and what she dealt with. We're probably going to run into some situations as we talk about these movies where, you know, there's some actors that are still with us today, but there are some that uh, that have left this earth. And so, and, and we're going to find out that they, some of them, you know, left... A legacy. They left a legacy, but some of them left, they left too early. You know, they could have had a great career and, and then something happened and, and we don't have them anymore. Uh, we'll, we'll mention them, when, you know, when we get there. But that is the final things that I wanted to say. And yeah. we will get to the plot of this movie. Yeah. So let's uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to uh, travel to that dark, mysterious land of Transylvania. Transylvania. Ah, ah, so uh, ah, ah, should, ah, we, should, we bid, uh, should we bid our listeners good evening? Good evening. Good evening, dear listener. That, that, was, that was not bad. <laughs> So hello and welcome again to our great podcast about Dracula. It's a a really great movie, of course. And uh, a couple things before we go into the plot is uh, things that I forgot to say, uh, which was really important. Uh, One thing, which was a smaller thing, was that uh, I'm 15 now, as you all know. I turned uh, 15 at the 12th. Well, happy birthday, William. Happy birthday. And so then this movie, because we went on to Dracula after I turned 15, it, you know, as you said before, inaugural, this makes me identify with this movie even more as we've switched eras at the same time I've switched into a new era, kind of. That's, that's fascinating. That's, that's really cool. So I identify with this movie even more. And uh, also, I forgot to talk about the uh, epilogue segment that was cut out of the movie because it was not very good. So let me just read it out for you. It's a Van Helsing uh, says it out at the ending of the movie. And so he says, Just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. A word before you go. We hope the memories of Dracula and Renfield won't give you bad dreams. So just a word of reassurance. When you get home tonight and the lights have been turned out and you are afraid to look behind the curtains and you dread to see a face appear at the window... Why, just pull yourself together and remember that after all, there are such things as vampires. (laughs) Which was obviously cut because it made people scared that there were actually vampires because it confirmed and endorsed vampires. And no, we are not vampires at all. Just so you know, we are 100% Vampire 3, we eat garlic. Oh no, that's just jelly donut. We really love jelly donuts. We just happen to love jelly donuts. Uh, so don't pay attention to what's on my lip. So that was cut from the 1931 version. It was there was a 1938 one that was heavily censored because it was after the Hays Code. But this this part, the epilogue was taken out. I think we only have the quotes and a couple pictures left from that. But you probably will notice something similar that the actor Edward Van Sloan does at the beginning of Frankenstein. But we will talk about that uh, another time. So uh, we start with Renfield traveling to the inn in a carriage. 
as we'll let you go into the plot, Father. Okay. Well, first thing I want to talk about is the lovely Swan Lake score we have at the beginning. Of course, Indeed. we get that again. We get that music again with The Mummy, which comes out, I think, a year later. And we'll get into that. It's probably going to be the maybe the a couple movies from now. It's a really great piece by Tchaikovsky. So then we're on a nice matte painting. We're on a nice matte painting with a stagecoach just galloping along. In the stagecoach, which is bouncing around, I don't know how anybody doesn't get queasy watching this. So you've got some people that live in the area that are in the stagecoach, plus a young lady with glasses on, and she's played by Carla, Carla Limley, who is actually Rebecca Limley. She changed her name to Carla. She, of course, is a Limley. Who isn't a Limley in these movies? I mean, they're all over the place. Okay, she's reading from a tour guide brochure book or something. Um, she keeps falling on people every time they hit a bump. So the character we're following is Renfield, played by Dwight Fry. As opposed to in Nosferatu, where we're following uh, Jonathan Harker. So this movie kind of overlaps, kind of, or Hutter, kind of overlaps with Nosferatu in where it has Renfield instead going to it. It starts with that, like where they would have instead. So it's kind of like overlapping. It starts, Dracula starts in the middle and then goes past the end. So it's like you have all the stuff with Jonathan Harker and all that happens. And then that movie ends and then it goes past to when he's arrived and stuff, Dracula. Yeah. And well, the thing is, Renfield is a much more interesting character because of his, you know, because of the changes that he goes through anyway. So I I'd, I'd much rather prefer, in some cases, the Renfield character to others. So the way that they're driving, it's throwing everybody around. And so Renfield says, hey, driver, can you go a little bit slower? And the other guy that's there, he says, no, we have to get to the end by sundown. Everybody asks why. And he says, because it's Walpurgis night, which is a night of evil. In the book, the man does not say Walpurgis night, but the eve of St. George. Uh, St. George's Day is also called the Feast of St. George. It's, the, it's celebrated by various Christian churches in several nations, kingdoms, etc. Yeah, everyone is Catholic in this movie. Very much yeah. Catholic. In which uh, uh, St. George is a patron saint, like Bulgaria, England, Georgia, Portugal, Romania. And Hungary. Well, yeah. Well, this is kind of like Transylvania. It's kind of like a Hungarian-Romania blend, where it's like Hungarian language, but it's like Romanian. It's actually Romania. Right. Spoiling your dreams. Uh, In the 1897 book Dracula by Bram Stoker, evil things are said to occur on St. George's Eve beginning at midnight. So the belief is that Living vampires, witches, and other dark creatures must gather all the evil power they can between midnight and the dawn of the saint's holy day, so it's unsafe to go outside on that night. So that's kind of awesome. So begins the first of 1,000 times they do the Catholic sign of the cross every time somebody mentions vampires. So if somebody says vampire, they go, oh, and they do the they genuflect and do the sign of the cross. Let's like, uh, you could honestly do a, dr- a drinking game. Don't, don't drink, please, kids. Uh, you could do a drinking game every time you do it, and you'd be drunk by... Ten, five minutes in. They arrive at the local village, like the... the yes. Inn. So the Eastern European family that lives in the small village outside the Borgo Pass is absolutely excited when the stagecoach comes through because tourist season, right? You get tourists in there. That's pretty much the only real money they make. They're going to give him, I guess, trinkets and nonsense. Renfield doesn't want his bags to be taken down from the stagecoach because he's going right back up to the Borgo Pass to Castle Dracula. He's in a super hurry, but I guess... Uh, in Nosferatu, Hutter was not because he's in that movie. He sleeps the whole night and goes out the next day. But Renfield, of course, wastes absolutely zero time. So he has a conversation with the innkeeper, and it's funny. I don't know. Basically, I, I, he's like, "Don't go there. 
So uh, we'll play a clip here. Don't take my luggage down. I'm going on to Bordeaux Pass tonight. No, no, please, put that back up there. The driver, he's afraid. Walpurgis night. <laughs> Good fellow he is. He wants me to ask if you can wait and go on after sunrise. Well, I'm sorry, but there's a carriage meeting me at Borgo Pass at midnight. Borgo Pass? Yes. Who's carriage? Count Dracula. Count Dracula? Yes. Castle Dracula? Yes, that's where I'm going. To the castle? Yeah. No. You mustn't go there. We people of the mountains believe that the castle there are vampires. Dracula and his wives, they take the form of wolves and bats. They leave their coffins at night and they feed on the blood of the living. But that's all superstition. Look, the sun. When it is gone, they leave their coffins. When it's going doors. Yeah, I like in that, that clip where he says, there's a carriage meeting at the Borgo Pass at midnight. And he goes, Borgo Pass? And he goes, yes. Whose carriage? Count Dracula's. Count Dracula's? Yes. Castle Dracula? Yeah, that... F uh, yes. He just keeps saying, oh, the castle with Dracula in it? Yes, the fortress. Yeah, that's what I said. Like, how many times can you rearrange that? Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. So uh, Renfield insists, and he says he has nothing to do with the superstitions. He's a businessman. He's got business with Dracula. He is a solicitor. I had to look up what a solicitor is. They represent and defend <laughs> clients' legal interests and provide advice. So he's helping him with, I guess, a business transaction for... Like a house. Yeah, that's why they say no solicitors when they come. They right. have restaurants or somewhere. They have no solicitors. Right. Uh, but sometimes solicitors mean salespeople in a way. But in this yeah. case, it's, it's it's a legal kind of thing. He's It's like he's coming from a, a law firm or something. The innkeeper's wife places a crucifix around Renfield's neck for his mother's sake. All right, he's like, ah, I don't really need it. I don't believe in this nonsense. But they put it on him anyway. So he goes off to the castle, and then we, real quick, we get a cut shot over to Dracula coming out of the coffin. Yeah, it's like the passing shot is like extremely slow, that the film strip is literally the length of the Great Wall of China. <laughs> oh my, well, the, it's a slow burn kind of film, and some people have said that it's kind of eerie, and time tends to slow down and feel deliberate. You know, when you don't have that music. Because after all, the length is like emphasizes what it is. So like when you're speaking to someone like speaking like this, it's like really you don't really know what they're saying. But if it's like this is what I'm saying cuts through a lot more. Yeah. In this case, there's no in this movie. The thing that modern film goers will notice is that there's no score. Like we said before, there there is a score that uh, people have invented recently to put in. And that's that's really great. But when you think about it, there's something about it that's so unsettling and creepy when it doesn't have a score like this. When it's just because reality doesn't have a score. And so it just you just notice that it's just everything is so deliberate. Um, but anyway, back to this. So um, so we also see a couple of his brides or these women uh, coming out of their coffins. Yeah. You know, there's like a scene. You skip the part. There's like a scenic scene. With, like, there's a rat, and then there's a bug. They're, like, in the wall and spot. And then Dracula comes out. He kind of looks like Spock. 
Like, Leonard Nimoy would be perfect for Dracula if he was around then. <laughs> yeah. But he kind of looks like Spock, in my opinion. But you know, that's not a rat, that's an opossum. And he's the cutest opossum I've ever seen. So then you, then you get a bug a bug that pops out of his own coffin. I guess he gets a little tiny coffin. He's, he's his little buddy. But you never see him again. But that was kind of cool. Okay, so this is the first shot we see of Bella Lugosi. His last name, Lugosi, really just means he's from Lugo. Which is which is in Hungary. That's where he gets his name. Uh, that's not his real name. Again, again, we're going to learn a lot throughout the course of this podcast that not and everybody's then the three na- wives come as Count Tertula goes up the stairs so slowly. <laughs> well, he's very slow, but he he has this. He's very deliberate. I like it. He's got a very stern, freaky gaze, and and they have these lights that they put on his face, like right to make his eyes look extra cool the effect of the white light on the eyes it happens a couple times really well and then a couple other times they get it kind of off center on his eye yeah because it's it's either it's missing it completely or they're too wide that you can't really tell that you could easily tell that it's a light here it's like down below and sometimes it's like really too wide that it's just like it's obviously a flashlight which they could have done better when the light gets on his eyes and it works it works when it doesn't you still get to see his freaky gaze. Okay, so he comes up the stairs very carefully, and then they switch over to him as the coachman. And I know that they wanted it to be that way. The other coach wants to get rid of Renfield so bad because it's nighttime now, and they just chuck him off the coach and toss his bags off. And Renfield a- asks the new coachman if he's, which is obviously Bill Lugosi as Dracula, if he's going to Castle Dracula. And the coachman just looks at him and take points and takes his bag. He doesn't say anything. So he's got glowing eyes and everything. I mean, he's got to be Dracula. So the coach takes off at a shot and he's banging around. And Renfield probably got a little bit of coach sickness. So he looks out to see what's going on. And there's no coach. It's just a bat leading the horses on. That's pretty cool. They, uh, they get up to the castle and the driverless coach stops at the front door. So Dracula's house must be Walmart because the door opens on its own as, as it does at Walmart. So this guy's house is huge. The set on this must have been cavernous. There was a huge staircase, and then Dracula's coming down. The rotting stairs. Yeah, he's just holding a candle, and there's huge spider webs up around. And Renfield is over as well. Yeah, how did Dracula pass through that thing without, you know, separating the web? I have no idea. Don't ask questions. He just can do it. The cool thing is, in like I said before, in the Spanish version, they do this crane shot where it just comes past Renfield up the stairs into him. It's much more dramatic and I think is actually superior. Uh, like you said, that's very locked off in, uh, in, the orig- in the English version. So he says, I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. And then he comes up with him. And, and as they're walking up the stairs, there's some wolf howls. And he has the iconic line that we'll put here. I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. Listen to them, children of the night, what music they make. So Dracula goes up the stairs and he passes, like I said, straight on through a spider web, but Renfield Oh, you forgot the armadillos. Oh, yeah, there are armadillos. The armadillos, that's literally the most random thing in the world. You didn't know that there are Transylvanian armadillos? (laughs) 
They're not from Texas. They're not from Arkansas. This is secretly Australia, guys. Transylvania is both Romania and Australia at the exact same time. And and it also happens to be in America as well. (laughs) That's where they filmed it. I guess they wanted something creepy. They went, they told the the prop master, hey, find me some creepy animals. And he goes, uh, an opossum, a rubber bat, and I got a couple armadillos. Is that cool? All right, awesome. Dracula passes through the spider web, but Renfield has a little bit of a problem, and, and he just takes his cane and cuts through it. But it scares a spider that crawls up to the ceiling, and uh, Dracula says, A spider spinning his web for the unwary fly. The blood is the life, Mr. Renfield. We'll put that so here. The-, the spider spinning his web for the unwary fly. The blood is the life, Mr. Renfield. Yeah. If that's not, you know, kind of creepy and he should just turn around and leave right now. I mean, he's saying, he's saying, I'm the spider and you're the fly and I've trapped you. But he's also is, it's a kind of a foreshadowing of the fact that Renfield is going to yeah, be a spider. Yeah, you know, spider. he loves spiders. Yeah, but he's going to be a spider too because he feeds on flies. And, and he, but he's also going to feed on spiders too. He would agree to Dracula if he was converted then, but he's not now. Not yet. So Dracula's got everything covered, man. He's got food for him. He's got a nice, uh, comforting fire. The room is inviting, but it actually looks kind of creepy to me. Um, he takes his cat, it's his cane. Huge. Yeah, he takes his cane, his hat, his bags are already up in his room. I mean, if this guy wasn't a vampire, he's like the best host anyone could ask for. Wait a minute, a host, a parasite? Doesn't a parasite need a host? Oh boy, here we go. So, and then we get to the scene where he cuts his finger. And uh, they stole that from Nosferatu. That's true. Now, of course, Dracula is different in the novel. Uh, Bram Stoker describes him as being uh, clad all in black. Well, check. And he's a tall old man who's clean shaven aside from a long white mustache. When Jonathan Harker, who is, of course, switched out for Renfield in this adaptation, he shakes his hand. He's surprised by how strong he is for his age. But his hand is like ice cold, more than like a dead guy. He also noticed that the Count has slightly pointed ears, very pale skin, and very sharp teeth. So therefore, he is Legolas. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Dracula is, in, is inquiring about Carfax Abbey in London. I believe it's across from the sanitarium. Yeah, he wants both the cars and the facts, I guess. It sounds like a brand name. <laughs> It is. The, the Carfax, they, they, they can look up information about your past vehicles you want to buy. But see, the thing is, he says, okay, what bags do you want to take? Uh, we need to get some labels for them. And Dracula's like, I only have three boxes. I think in the book it was like a lot more than that, but I think it was to cover up the fact that he was resting in one of them. Because he would have, he would have to have four of them, though, to accommodate his three wives, but we don't see those anymore because it's like we only get this and then another scene and then they're just out. Yeah, we do not see the wives anymore, yeah. Of course, that's also true in the book. We see the wives a little bit, but then we don't see them when he's in, in London. Uh, Dracula says he has a he's chartered a ship to take him to England, and they're going to be leaving tomorrow evening. In the book, there's at least a month or so that Jonathan Harker is asked to stay at Castle Dracula. Uh, Dracula wants Harker to teach him English very well, so well that he has no mistakes and that he is able to blend into London society. But he couldn't blend into the other movies as we talked about in the production, sadly. Right, exactly. And they didn't and they didn't do the similar stuff that they you know, some of this some of the stuff in the book makes it richer 
and it does make the story longer, though, too. So Dracula gives him a bed, and while Renfield is looking at some paperwork, he cuts his finger on a paperclip. Some blood comes out, and Dracula is like looking at him like he's, a, he's an animal after his prey. There's actually a kind of a tribute to this in one of the Twilight movies. Bella Swan, one of the main characters, she's at the home of some vampires, and she paper cuts her finger, and a literal drop of blood hits the ground. And uh, one of the vampires like cannot control himself. He leaps across the room. It's it's ridiculous. It's it's as ridiculous as it sounds. Anyway, so as he gets closer to Renfield, Dracula does. The crucifix falls over where Dracula can see it. He turns away in horror, and I think Renfield thinks that Dracula's freaked out by the sight of blood, like he's like he's a scaredy cat or something. So in the book, here's what happens in the book: Jonathan Harker is shaving in front of a mirror. And he's startled by Dracula coming up behind him because he can't be seen in mirrors. So Harker cuts himself shaving, and that's when Dracula starts kind of coming after him. Um, he takes the mirror and he chucks it out the window, like he doesn't like them, like he like they're they're e- egotistical or something, or I don't know why he does that. I dislike mirrors. I dislike mirrors. Uh, I guess he's like, he doesn't like the way he looks in the morning. He's like... Van Helsing will apologize. Yes. So in the Spanish version, when Dracula's coming toward Renfield, he looks like he's really going to eat him alive right there. Whenever the crucifix pops out, he just looks like he smells something stinky. And I think that's the most (laughs) ridiculous... Stanky. I know. He's like, he's got that crucifix stank. I did find myself laughing at that scene when I saw how Dracula reacts in the Spanish version. I think Bela Lugosi is superior as Dracula for quite a few reasons. He's subtle, he's in control most of the time, and he's king of the steering contest. So the Spanish Dracula just looks like a manic, wild, crazy person. It's a little bit much. So like you said before, in the Spanish version, when Renfield cuts his finger, he's cutting bread, just like Hutter did in the 1920s Nosferatu and also the 1979 remake of Nosferatu. But in this one, it's just a paperclip. And I think that's how much, how sharp is that paperclip that he just bleeds over? And then after this, Dracula converts Renfield in a famous scene. However, when he says we don't drink wine, we drink Draculade. Draculade. Ah, yeah. Draculade? <laughs> yes. That's terrible. That's terrible. That, that's a you know what we said we said bad jokes and dad jokes in there and there and there I love them I love them. So uh, he gets his composure back. Like I said, he serves him wine and he says, "I never drink wine." So I always wondered if there was something like special in the wine that starts the the vampiric process. But in the book, it nah, just says it's just the, blood. Well, the no the in the book it's the, blood. It's it's just blood. He's saying it's old wine. It's literally a big cup of blood. How do we know it's blood? In the book, it says that the wine is, is tokay. Tokay is a type of wine. That makes sense. Yeah, but... But I mean, although you would think in this, the bite would drain and drinking blood would convert, although commonly the bite would convert otherwise, which is really interesting. Well, I think what I'm doing is I'm taking some of my memory of another movie into this. There's a movie called The Lost Boys, which is about this gang of uh, of rebel kind of vampires who pull this other young guy into their little gang and they like uh they give him some old special wine to drink and it's supposed to be the way you look at it it kind of looks kind of like thick like it's blood 
and it does start to convert him into into becoming a vampire until he like stops the process. So that's what I think I'm bringing to the story. So again, you know, the story is what it is, but I think I was bringing that into it, unfortunately. So it's late at night, and Renfield, I guess, is kind of, you know, the house is stuffy. So he goes to open up a window, and a bat flies by. And, you know, and he just Renfield, faints. Renfield is not, he does not have the best of constitutions. He just failed his saving throw, like, hardcore. <laughs> In, indeed. Yes. The wives start coming for him, and the yeah. vampire brides come for him. But then Dracula's like, I got this. And then he, we go on to the next scene uh, with the vest. Yeah, yeah. But here's what here's what happens in the book. Uh, just as one of the brides puts her lips against his neck, Dracula sweeps in. He orders the women to leave Harker alone. He says, and he also orders I'm... a small fry. Oh yes, he orders a small fry and a, and a milkshake. He says, when I <laughs> so every time somebody goes to bite somebody on the neck, it just straight up fades to black. It's like uh, we can't show that. I'm like, what? Spanish version fixes that, however. Does the Spanish version show his mouth actually go on their neck? You watched it. I don't know. Yeah, I did. I did. I just don't remember that. I remember other factors in that that jumped out at me more than that. But that's fascinating. That's great. Honestly, the Spanish version has a lot to like in it. Now, the one I watched didn't have subtitles, so I had to kind of guess based upon my high school Spanish what they were saying and my knowledge of the actual script helped as well. But anyway, back to this. So We get to the uh, Vesta. Where Dracula yes. has enslaved Renfield and they eat the entire crew. Right, right, right. So Dracula's on the boat in his coffin box. He's got, you know, places to go, people to kill. So we see an intertitle that says it's several weeks later. They're on the vest. It's bound for England. Uh, the ship, a.k.a. the model, is getting rocked up and down. It's taking on water. The crew is battling Dude, the storm. Let me tell you this. Yes. Let me tell you this. This scene was lifted... From Universal's uh, The Stormbreaker from 1925. It's a, a silent movie, and uh, the scene is really jerky and kind of unrealistic because of the silent air projector speeds, which that, were that's commonly why. set to 16, but oh. varied a little bit. It was conflicting with 24 FPS, of course, because, you know, like eight extra frames at least. Like, I mean, oh. the ship was tilted 130 degrees. Like, it's oh just so Oh, my goodness. So that's weird. why, that's why the, the, the shots don't match. I uh, Also, Jack Foley great. himself did the SFX for this scene. So, that's amazing. Like, you know, okay. you hear Is Foley, that... that's Jack Foley himself. So, so, so that's who started the, the, the Foley process, you know, where you make the sounds. It was named kind of... after him. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that, I didn't know when he started. But uh, but yeah, I I love to watch uh, sound effect Foley guys do their thing. If you've ever ever curious about that, that's a fascinating thing to watch. Is where you know where they're uh, they're making sounds with objects. It's just amazing. So Renfield is talking to Dracula, and he tells him that Master the Sun is gone, and so that means uh, Dracula can come out. It doesn't show what he does to the whole crew, but he he does it. Renfield wants to know that Dracula will keep his promise when they get to London. That he will give him lives, not human lives, but small ones with blood in them, and then he'll be loyal. And we'll see what that means later. So now we see Dracula coming out onto the deck when it's everything's going crazy. We skip to the next scene. It's England. It's the next morning. It's at Whitby Harbor. And they you crashed. Some, yeah, you get some they people kind of des- describing what happened. Uh, people are dead everywhere, and the captain is dead. He's strapped to the to the wheel. Uh, and Renfield then they says, upon they find Renfield laughing crazily where did it put that scene in the production like his laugh so 
you don't have we don't have a clip for it here however it is very 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 insane he is very insane and they're like oh we gotta get this dude over to the ho the to the yeah the sense the sanatorium dr seward's sanatorium in fact okay then we get a couple of newspapers showing where we are informed that the schooner vesta drifted into whitby harbor in england it's called the demeter in the novel so only one survivor was found he's a crazy maniac he likes to snack on ants, flies, and other small living things to get their blood. Like you said, and we have a clip um, here. We have a clip here of him talking about he's like, uh, why would I have flies when I can have fat spiders? We'll play that here. Who wants to eat flies? You do, you loony. Not when I can get nice fat spiders. Yeah, that was really great. Also, yeah. I wanted to remark on the car noises. Which honestly surprised me because they're really weird. I might play that here as well. <laughs> but it's like, I'm just like, is that a car? Because it's like really weird. I didn't know that like car horn sounded like that. Yeah, so uh, he's going to be under, Renfield's under observation with Dr. Seward's sanitarium. Sanitarium is like an institution where people with emotional and mental challenges were kept. We don't do that very much anymore. Uh, in the novel, Renfield was not on the schooner, but when it runs aground in Whitby, a dog or wolf leaps off the ship and runs away. Presumably, this was the Count in a shape-shifted form. Also, there's one random lady in the sanatorium who's, like, commanded to cover her hands but doesn't want to, which I found very comical. Yeah, in the novel, it says that, it says the patient, a.k.a. Renfield, it says he has the curious habit of consuming living creatures. He uses sugar to trap the flies, uses flies to trap the spiders, and uses spiders to trap sparrows. Very complicated food chain. It is. It's awesome food chain. You know, it's like, it's like the whole, she swallowed a fly, perhaps she'll die. It's that whole poem. So we're in London, and like you said, the cars are out there, and I think those are true to life. Dracula is blending in really well. He looks like a foreign noble or dignitary. There's a young girl selling violets, and he looks at her hypnotically. Again, staring contest, champion of the decade, and he pulls her aside and kills her and drinks her blood. So, uh, and of course, uh, he's walking away, and you can hear the, the whistle blowing, and it's like he's walking away from the thing, just doesn't care. So he goes into the... Uh, the theater and we hear the second time we actually hear music is actually the music playing in this scene so this is where we meet dr seward of the aforementioned sanitarium right and and mina his daughter and jonathan harker mina's boyfriend or fiance and a family friend named lucy weston now it's lucy weston ra in the novel dr seward is not mina's dad he is a suitor for lucy's hand along with two other guys who do not appear in the film named Holmwood and Quincy. So there are three guys other than Jonathan Harker. So there's Seward, Quincy, and Holmwood. And Seward actually likes Lucy, like they're the same age. And so that they changed things around just a little bit here. They greatly simplified the whole thing. And so then they introduced uh, Count Dracula. And then at this moment, I'm like, well, a count is a royalty, so why aren't you bowing right now? Well, I guess they don't really bow for counts because they're fairly common. Uh, upon which, after he is, like, uh, nice to meet you, and he gives a quote uh, where he says there's far worse things than death. And we have a clip for that, too. To die, to be really dead, 
That must be glorious. There are far worse things waiting man than death. And also this scene made me think of there's far worse things than death. This reminded me uh, today of a quote by Hermione Granger is now if you two don't mind I'm going to bed before either of you come up with another clever idea to get us killed or worse expelled far worse things than death being expelled exactly (laughs) yeah so Dracula knows a little bit of things about about death and far worse things awaiting man of course he should know because he's he's immortal or near immortal so it's kind of hinted at that Lucy finds Dracula kind of romantic so Mina says give me somebody a little more normal like like John Harker. It kind of reminded me of Gladys Hungerford from Lost World, where she was like, I want somebody who has faced down death and everything like that, and somebody interesting. And then she ends up with a normal dude. And I'm like, okay, well, there we go. So yeah. uh, Mina even kind of teases her a little bit about it and says, you should probably be named a countess. So here's where Lucy decides to read a little bit of a book before she goes to bed, and Dracula shows up at her window and creeps in for a little midnight neck blood drinking session. Yeah. Of course, it fades to black before his mouth gets on her neck, unless it is in Spanish, and then we get the full bite. And then they're in the they have the hospital scene, and they they observe her and stuff, and they like theorize maybe what it could be. I'd I'd think. And then she's all right. Well, that well, not just that. No, what it is is this is what happens is they said another death. When did Miss Lucy have oh, she the died? last? Yeah, when did Miss Lucy have the last transfusion? Wait, then who was the white lady? Exactly. She died She died mortally, but she rose again undead. Ah. Ah. So, uh... Ah, I ah, thought ah. she just was <laughs> still alive. No, no, no. What it is is, uh, he says, another death, when did Miss Lucy have the last transfusion? He says about four hours ago. There was a, a, a natural, unnatural loss of blood, and on the throat of each victim, there are these two holes with red dots in the middle. In the book, it's a much more gradual process with Lucy needing transfusions, some of which are done by Dr. Abraham Van Helsing, and, and I think some of the other men give, give their blood for her as well. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not just a bite and you're a vampire. It's like, I take your blood, I take more of your blood, and then it just you, you feel really ill, and, it's, and you feel terrible uh, over days. And so they really sped the whole process up. In the uh, in the actual book, there's a place where Mina and Lucy like to go uh, toward the cliffside uh, in Whitby. There are all these uh, uh, like a graveyard, and she sees a shadow-like figure hunched over her. Of course, this is Dracula drinking her blood. So, and she comes over to her, puts a cape around her, and says, "Oh, you you dear." She has she sleeps she sleepwalks. So she takes her back home, and she has this little brooch or little pin that she clips the cape together with, I guess, to keep her cold. And she thinks that she stabbed her in the neck with it, which is why those holes are there. Okay, all right. But whatever. Okay, so now we'll go to the Seward Sanitarium. Renfield wants to leave the sanitarium immediately because he feels that he will disturb Mina with his insane cries. Is manic, manic cries. We get to see him with Martin. Yeah, the the comedy guy. He has a really funny accent. Yeah, he's like talking like this. He's crazy. He likes to howl at them wolves, and the wolves be talking to him. Oh, come on, little fly eater. He's hilarious. All right, so yeah, uh, he's kind of quote hilarious. You know, they they thought that this probably was gut bustingly hilarious. 
Um, you know, this happens a lot in Universal movies actually going forward. When we watch these, I want to see if you can pick out which character the Universal Studios people thought was the comic relief. Uh, I think Martin is the comic relief, but just, and I just agree. wait. I indeed agree. They kind of get on my nerves a little bit. So in the in the Spanish version, the guy who plays Martin is much more believable. He's like a guy doing his job. It actually is more is more normal, you know. It's more in comparison to the manic insanity of Renfield. In another area of the sanitarium, uh, Doctor Seward and Abraham Van Helsing. He's a cool guy. He's I like his character. They're discussing uh, about vampires and Nosferatu. We have a clip for that. We'll play it here. The vampires are pure myth, superstition. I may be able to bring you proof that the superstition of yesterday can become the scientific reality of today. And so they're discussing vampires. Yeah, he says they're dealing with Nosferatu, the undead. Uh, the other doctors think it's superstition, but Van Helsing says that the superstitions of the past can sometimes be the science of the modern age. Uh, they suspect that Renfield is probably related to some of these creatures. So they're talking about him, and they say that Renfield escapes from his room a lot, and he's gone for hours. So Martin brings him in, and he's looking hes looking a lot more sane, I think, probably because he's fed, I think. That's my theory, is you know he's all manic and freaked out when he hasn't fed enough, and then when he has, he's just kind of chill. And so Renfield is being called by Dracula as being a wolf, and so uh, Van Helsing should... Uh, he brings out the wolf's bane and he stuffs it in his face and he's like, ah, which means that he's sus. Yeah, but he acts like uh, when Dracula saw the crucifix, he, uh, they both react in a very similar way to, to wolf's bane. I think that Dracula does it kind of doesn't like it, but with Renfield, he acts I mean, he acts like the sprig of wolf's bane is like the crucifix. So Renfield recognizes that Dr. Van Helsing knows a little too much. So they send him out. But he gives a halfway threat against Mina that something bad is going to happen to her if he stays there. So Dr. Van Helsing says, hey, keep a watch on Renfield. So Renfield's back in his cell and he sees Dracula outside his cell. And he says, oh, master, you've come back. Please don't make me do that to her. But I don't know what he's referring to because in the next scene, Dracula is the one that's coming after Mina. I don't know. Does, did Renfield let him in? I don't know. So the next scene... We get Mina in her bedroom asleep, and Dracula enters in and, and I assume, bites her neck. So several even, evenings later, Mina is telling John about it, and she says she was getting drowsy, and mist came in the room, and she saw two red eyes and a white face coming out of the mist, and she felt breath on her face. But Harker says it was only a dream, and he, she, but she said, I feel weak like all the life has been drained out of me. So Dr. Van Helsing wants to talk to her. And asked her some more questions, asked where the lips touched her, and she says on her throat, and he, he looks at her throat and finds the marks. But they don't show this except for in the Spanish version. Yeah, and he says, this, is, this part's kind of funny, he says, what could have caused these? And the maid goes, Count Dracula, and as he's coming in the room, and I'm like, yes, how true it is. That's actually a pretty good line, I actually find myself laughing at, the, at that line. So Van Helsing suggests that Mina go up to her room. I think she's probably, he's probably trying to create some distance between Dracula and Mina. So Dr. Seward introduces Van Helsing, and Count Dracula says, even in my country, we've heard of you, which is kind of cool. Dracula says, I may have told some you know, weird folklore stories of my home, 
you know, in Mina's presence and, and, and she liked him, but I think that's what's giving her the nightmares. But I'd like to, I'd like to, to give a little bit of a shout out right now to Jonathan Harker because he kind of saves the day and he saves the day with smoking. Thank God Jonathan Harker smokes because he smokes. He decides to open up a cigarette case that has a mirrored lining in it. And this is extremely lucky because Dracula casts zero reflection. And Van Helsing then deduces that Dracula is a vampire due to not seeing the reflection while Mina and Dracula are talking. So all those truth videos that you see on YouTube about vaping and smoking, those are those are incorrect. It's extremely useful to smoke in this one case. So, no, I'm serious. Smoking's bad for you kids. Don't do it. It's, it was only useful in this one instance, I swear. All right, so Van Helsing tries to start a conversation with Dracula and holds the mirror up to him, and he smacks it out of his hand. He smacks it out of his hand lightly in comparison to Spanish Dracula. I need to show you this later, William, but Dra- Spanish Dracula has a cane or something, and he smacks the the case with such a hard force it's almost like it turns into legos it's like pieces go everywhere it is super ridiculous it's kind of like dude that's my case you just just now the other one he's just like he smacks it and they're like oh i'm sorry i i kind of lost my temper there for a second the other one it's like you just you turned it into into tiny little pieces so it's kind of ridiculous and i i kind of like that so uh Dracula then goes, oh, uh, I'm sorry, I I dislike mirrors, you know, Van Helsing will explain. Of course, Van Helsing's going to explain that he's a vampire. So instead of getting on top of the story and saying, you know, we consider mirrors the height of vanity and it is against my religion or something, they'd be like, oh, okay. So when Van Helsing says he's a vampire later, they would be like, no, you're, you're crazy, Van Helsing. But he says, Van Helsing will explain. And then Van Helsing proceeds to explain... Uh, after Dracula leaves, that he's a vampire. And they're like, what? For one who has not lived even a single lifetime, you're a wise man, Ben Helsing. So next we get to the the woman in white little arc. Yeah, well, he explains about the, he said the strength of the vampire is that people will not believe in him. Yeah, we have a clip for that here. We'll play that. The strength of the vampire is that people will not believe in him. No, no, master. I wasn't going to say anything. I told him nothing. I'm loyal to you, master. Yeah, that was pretty great. Anyway, the the woman in white is then appearing as Lucy secretly, and she's luring children over and then biting them. With chocolates. With chocolates. She's biting, yeah. she's biting them with chocolates. <laughs> but yeah, she's, she's killing children. And so Harker is like wanting to vacate Mina away because they love each other a lot. But that's against Van Helsing's wishes because he wants to protect her with Wolvesbane. Wait, I have one quick thing I want to say. Previously, this is something that you'll find very interesting. Do you remember the scene where where uh, Renfield is like, uh, he, he comes in after Dracula's gone and everything, and he does, he does his little <laughs> laugh, yeah. and the maid, maid faints, and he crawls over to the maid like he's going to do something, and you're like, oh no, what is he going to do? Actually, if you watch the Spanish version, this is hilarious, and it's a little less scary, though. He, walks, he crawls over to the, to the maid, and he reaches for her face, and he flicks. He, he he tries to. He's trying to grab a fly off her face. 
I'm serious. I'm serious. If you want me to show you this later, I'll show you these little scenes in the movie. He's going for a fly. He wasn't. He wasn't gonna like you know kill her and yeah. drink her blood. Like he would never kill a fly, but in fact he does. So the- <laughs> oh, he kills flies all the time. That doesn't you know, apply. They say he would never hurt a fly. Well, this guy is the biggest fly herder there ever was. And then, so then, he's talking about how Dracula is promising thousands of rats to all the Converteds if they will serve him. Uh, We'll play that here. He came and stood below my window in the moonlight. And he promised me things. Not in words, but by doing them. By making them happen. A red mist spread over the lawn, coming on like a flame of fire. And then he parted it, and I could see that there were thousands of rats with their eyes blazing red, like his, only smaller. And then he held up his hand, and they all stopped. And I thought he seemed to be saying, rats, rats, Thousands, millions of them. All these will I give you if you will obey me. Yeah, and that was pretty great. Yeah, there was a, you know, when they discovered that the woman in white was Lucy, Mina was saying that she was downstairs uh, on the terrace. And Lucy, they, they talk about a lot of things. They don't show them. Anyway, she says that, that Lucy came out of the shadows and was just looking at her. And he, she started to talk to her and then remembered, oh, she's dead. And then this horrible expression comes over her face and she looks like a hungry animal. And she turned and ran back into the dark. I wish they would have shown that. That would have that looked a lot, a lot better. And so Dracula and Van Helsing, Van Helsing has deduced Dracula and the jig is up for him. And they're fighting. And so then Dracula and Van Helsing are fighting each other as he's trying to influence him however i have a theory if we discount the spanish version as being canon then my idea would be that all who've been formerly bitten or converted were the only ones to be able to be hypnotized and stuff because after all my theory is that because you know we don't see them actually uh in the spanish version they make this clear by showing that he's with his eyes that he's doing the influence however if we discount that and we say that he just bit them pre- either previously or he bit the maid as the screen was turned away, then we can say that once he's bitten them or converted them or had any, in- he can have influence over them, which makes sense, though. Unless, unless you take into account one more thing. Which is? Do you remember the, the, the first thing he does when he comes in the theater is he mind controls the usherette. She said, he says, but the thing is, we don't see him do anything. We just see them go do the bidding, which could have easily bitten her beforehand and then influenced her. Is what I'm saying. That's a, that's a, that could be that could be your. That it's could a valid be theory. However, it's possible. It's only if we discount the Spanish version. So then, after they fight, uh, we have Dracula converted Mina, and uh, Mina is a vampire now. She's a bit of a crucifixer upper. But this was oh, certain no. enough. You can fix this no. fixer up or up with a little bit of love. There's your frozen reference there. Okay, if, the, if the, there's been tons of Disney musical references throughout this, and and I blame, I blame, uh, I blame our family for that, uh, for exposure to all those yeah. things. 
She's a bit of a crucifixer upper. That is good. There was a line earlier when they they said that they were going to to go and kill Mina. They were going to fix they were going to fix her up. Crucifixer. I think that, yeah, but see, a lot of this movie, a lot of this movie, they say that they're going to go do stuff. A lot of this movie is 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 a well, I saw this happen, or or I felt this, I saw I saw mist. Yeah, so basically, why she's a crucifixer upper is because she knows that the crucifix is bad, and so she's like trying to get it away from Van Helsing. She's saying, "Oh, take the crucifix away from Van Helsing. I want you to go do that. Bury it in the ground." And she says to bury it in the ground. And Jonathan and Jonathan is like, he doesn't buy any of this nonsense. He's like, "What's wrong? He's he's so stupid." And then the bat appears and is trying to tell Mina something, and she's like, "Hmm, okay, sure, I'll do that." And then Jonathan Harker is like. What? Well, you just you, you just talked to that bat. Well, no, no John John Harker. Well, yeah, it's well, it's J O H N in the movie. Jonathan Harker in the book. We can merge those two. Just J O N. I think they call him John for short. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, is this is this this is after uh, or before Harker wants to take Mina away to the better part of London, right? Yeah. And then after this, they know that she's a vampire and uh, chaos ensues. Mina is mind-controlled, and she is fully in the vampire's thrall right now. And Dracula earlier had said that his blood is in her veins because she says that she drank some from, from his wrist or something like that. And I wish they had shown a lot of these things. They would have been very horrifying, but I wish they would have shown a lot of the stuff that they just mentioned in passing. They do a lot of talking and not a lot of, of showing. You know, show, don't tell is a big a big thing in movies. Anyway, so they're walking into, I guess it's Carfax Abbey, where Dracula has, has boxes of earth down deep down in there. Renfield is there and he says, he says, no, no, master, I can't, I can't die with all, you know, with all these, you know, lives on my conscience. And Dracula puts me aside or whatever and goes down there and, and just chokes Renfield out. And he's, his screams are horrific. Of course, those are, those are edited out in the censored 1938 version, the re-release version they did the theaters. He throws him and Renfield rolls and rolls and then takes a nice little fall off the stairs. I mean, it's rough. I don't know who did the stunt for that, but I'm just like, okay. Yeah. I would have rather he stepped on Legos, though. <laughs> that would have been oh. a worthy death. Oh, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all rough. So Dracula and it takes Mina, and they're going in past a door, and Jonathan and uh, Doctor Van Helsing are chasing after them. Dracula, Mina, get through the door. And they lock it, I guess, and because they're trying to get into the coffins because day is breaking. And Van Helsing is busting through the door. Dracula and we think Mina is in a coffin because they both look. And Mina's not in her coffin, but Dracula is. So I guess that once you get in your coffin, you go into this, I guess, mode like like when you close a laptop and it just goes to sleep because... And I'll tell you why, because Dr. Van Helsing starts busting up into pieces uh, the wood top of the coffin to, to to make a giant stake out of, and he goes and gets a like a metal railing that's just around, and he's gonna turn that into like to hammer this thing into his chest. Dracula doesn't bat an eyelid; he just stays there, just doing nothing. Uh, of course, this is different than it is in the book. the The sunlight just weakens him; he can barely do anything powerful. And then they kill him. Then yeah, they do. They stack, they kill him, and he does. He does groan. With the death, which, of course, that's edited out. Uh, Jonathan keeps saying, Mina, Mina, about 500 times as he's trying to locate her. He finally does. 
But when Dracula, like, quote, dies, Mina, I guess, is healed. This happens a lot with movies. Like, what they'll do is they'll, if you destroy the battleship that controls all the robots, or if you if you destroy the main Ultron bot, then all the other bots just fall down. I don't know. They, they do that a lot in movies. So, but whenever this actually does happen in the book, whenever Dracula dies, uh, she is freed from her illness or vampiric illness. So it kind of ends straight away because they say, uh, are you coming, Dr. Van Helsing? He says, I'll be along in a moment. You're like, oh, what's going to happen? And it doesn't show it. It goes straight to It's very the anticlimactic end. because they're trying to do sequel bait. I, I don't know about that. We have to wait and see. Uh, I think it's either D- uh, Daughter of Dracula or Son of Dracula. When we get to those movies, well, I haven't seen those in years. So we'll have to see what they go into. But overall, this movie was pretty great. We've done terrible tribute to it, but uh, it was pretty great. So honestly, I'd say go watch it. I think we did great tribute to it i mean we also if anything i hope that people do go see that they they can somehow find the spanish version they as well. bella lugosi the movie <laughs> oh, oh good one all right so now i will tell you that we do have a link in the in the blog post about this that has uh, a, a link to a lot of the vampire the, a lot of the, the universal studios vampire movies including the spanish version and the english version plus Daughter of Dracula and Son of Dracula. So you can get those as well. I think also House of Dracula as well, uh, which is, we'll get to that later. So that's a really good buy. I mean, for like, what, 20 bucks, you can get like three or four movies plus a Spanish version and the one with the, sc- with the score in it as well, the Philip Glass score. So if anything, watch the English version for R- Renfield. Uh, he, Dwight Fry does a great job in this. He was made for these movies. Uh, and also uh, Bela Lugosi, he's the king. Anytime you think of vampires or Dracula, you're thinking of Bela Lugosi. Even people that don't even know this movie, when they do an impression of Dracula, they're doing an Bela Lugosi impression. So and uh, Dwight that, Fry also did a really great job with this movie. You know, as you said, uh, he has smaller parts, but he has a specific way of looking and acting, and he does very manic parts really great. And he goes for it, but you want to hear what he has to say. And it's right up your alley, you said. It's very subtle. If you, yeah, it's very subtle. But if you watch the Spanish version, that Renfield is, in, I think he's crazy. I think the actor literally needs help. I mean, so if anything, do you want it low-key and kind of a little bit creepy? Or do you want it over-the-top and insane? You get, your, you get your pick. You can watch both of them and see which one parts you like. But as you, you said, like. it was right up your alley. It was right up my alley. Yes, absolutely. And I, I like Dwight Fry mainly because I've seen him in some other things. The other thing that I liked that he did was uh, he played Fritz. So we, everybody always says Igor is the hunchback that helps Dr. Frankenstein build the monster. But in the movie, he's called Fritz. There is an Igor later. Anyway, I'm getting off topic, but Frankenstein is coming up next. What a year, what a year to be watching movies, because 1931 had Dracula and Frankenstein in it, and, and that just kicked off the whole Universal Studios Cinematic Universe franchise right there. And uh, this, this movie is immortal and will last the ages, and it doesn't suck. If that's not enough vampire puns for you in like a minute, I don't know what does. This movie has teeth. It's it, no, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm trying. You done. You done. You cringe. We're is, done. Is, is, are my jokes over? Play the outro. Play the outro. All right. You know what? Just take a steak and shove it into my heart. 
and now I am now now I'm dead. Play the play just play the outro. Da 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 Don't forget to open your third eye and telepathically message us at cinefanpod at gmail.com. Set your chronoscope dial to the future setting and peruse cinematicfanpodcast.wordpress.com. Hunker over your ham radio as your keen ears listen for the ghostly voices tweeting on our Twitter at cinematicfanta1. Exchange all of your money into Republic credits and donate at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cinefanpodcast. Ending transmission now. Thank you.